All right. Well, good morning again. As we get started, our uh, our team's going to come and uh, take up our offering. And I uh, just want to let you know, that's kind of what that is. Like we said in the video, uh, if you're a guest this morning, don't feel an obligation or expectation to give. We're just glad that you're here uh, today. But if you're a part of our church, uh, we want you to give. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, we express this, listen, really, it's, it's part of our worship. It's what we do. Um, uh, God gave us the best. We celebrate that on Easter, uh, that God gave us his one and only son. And that heart of generosity is something that, that really flows out of us as his followers. And so that's why we take time to give. Um, and that's what it does, not just in benefiting the church and ministry and, and our ability to make a difference in the world, but it's also a part of our worship, our response to God. So um, that's kind of our heart when it comes to, um, to why we do that and why we take time to do that in our service like this. But hey, we're um, on Easter Sunday, and that is the greatest Sunday for followers of Jesus. Um, it's hopefully whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, or you're new to River Club, or you come here every week. When you came in today, you sensed an, ex- an expectation, um, an excitement. Hopefully you were welcomed in the parking lot as you came through the front doors. If you have kids, they got checked in just with people excited to have them here. Because today's a day where we get to celebrate the greatest hope that a person could ever find. And that's Jesus Christ. And that hope is one that, that, that I believe can change our lives. And as we talk about that today, we're going to talk about this idea of hope. And hope can be something that, you know, maybe for you, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you recognize it, you know it, but it's hard to define. So just to kind of get us all in the same definition of hope today, um, I want to just kind of share this in, in the dictionary. It, um, it says this, that, um, that hope is a feeling of expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. So it's a feeling of expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. Hope is most often about a positive thing. So you might hope for something negative for somebody else, right? But you want to hope the best for you. So hope is a positive thing. It's an expectation or a desire that something's going to happen or somebody's going to come into our life. Something's going to be a part of what, what is kind of is going on that's going to make our life better. And and here's the thing, no matter whether you're a follower of Jesus here today or not, here's one thing I believe all of us have in common is that we all look for hope. We all choose something or somebody or the some things and some bodies in our life to put our hope in where we're wanting something more than maybe what we can do on our own, something more than what today is just going to bring for us. And so the, the reality is that we all choose to put our hope in something. But, but the question I want to talk about today is this, is not just what do you put your hope in, but have you ever put your hope in something that lets you down? Has that person, that thing that you put your hope in, has it ever, you know, let you down? It didn't come, turn out the way that you thought it was going to turn out. It didn't, you know, that person did, wasn't the person you thought they were going to be in your life, but, but hope lets you down in, in a certain way. You know, for me, there's, there's been many times where I've been looking forward to something or, or had hope in something and that, that hope kind of let me down. It wasn't everything I thought it was going to be. And sometimes it's in little things that aren't that big of a deal. You know, a couple years ago, I was thinking about this, this, this over the past couple of weeks, you know, just an example of that for, for me is uh, my family and I took a vacation to Disney World. Now, how many Disney World fans do we have in the room? Okay. There's some of y'all. How many Disney haters do we have in the room? Okay, some of y'all as well. Um, if you're a Disney hater, you're still going to like this story. But um, even if you're a Disney fan, maybe you'll like it too. But So we decided to go to Disney World, right? The, the happiest place on earth, except with two kids in August. I'm just going to throw that out there, right? Um, 
And so we go, it's blazing hot, humidity's crazy, it is crowded and packed. But when we went, we'd gone a couple years before. And so, you know, whenever we went back, we were trying to look at, okay, what are the new rides, the new things that we can do? Well, one of the newest rides that had just opened up was the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train ride. I got, I got a picture of it up here for you. And so we were looking at this ride and we said, okay, you know, at some point, we've got to go do this ride. Now, Disney has a thing called a Fast Pass. And a Fast Pass are the things that you want to get so that you don't have to wait in line as long as the standby line. So I got another picture because when you walk up, there's really two places you can stand in line. You can Fast Pass or the standby entrance. Now, you don't want to find yourself in the standby entrance to any ride. But we didn't have Fast Passes for this ride. But we said, you know what? This is the, this is the new ride. It's the thing everybody's talking about. We've got to do this. Now, there's something else to know about Disney, if you're not a Disney fan or you've never been, is that in every place, there's a standby entrance, there's a screen, and it tells time, the wait time, in minutes. Disney doesn't talk about hours, it talks about minutes. So we pull up, right, to this line, me and the, my wife, and we had two kids at the time, we pull up and we say, okay, are we going to do this? The line looks pretty long. And so we start looking, and the line says 210 minutes. Now, it's 98 degrees outside, 99% humidity. I'm not good with math anyway. I had no idea. I'm like, 210, we got this, let's go. That's three and a half hours, right? And that means from that point, see, they don't tell you that. And the line didn't start there. The end of the line was about 100 yards over this way. So we jump in line because why? This is the new ride. This is what we're going to do. We're all fired up. We're all excited about it. So we're, we're there for a little bit. And it's like, okay, go get some drinks and go get a snack or something like that. So about 30 bucks later for two Cokes and a pretzel, you know, we come running back in. And, you know, and somebody's got to, you know, because you leave and, you, you know, and then you got to try to find your family. And for whatever reason, during that time, the lines moved a lot. So you're trying to find your family and you're trying to convince everybody else you're not cutting in line, right? And so you go back and we're doing that. So you're going through and, and the way Disney does it, man, I'm telling you, they're great at stuff like this is you kind of get to this one point and you're like, hey, we're almost there. And then you go into another room the size of a football field that has a line, right? And so we go to this next place and we're like, okay, we're almost there. Okay, not yet, not yet. And we keep going and going and going until we finally get to the ride. We're pumped up. We're excited because this is going to be, this is the new ride everybody's talking about. So we, we take our seats. We get in. You know, I think it was me and Piper and my wife and, and Peyton. And so we're ready to go and the ride starts. Everybody's pumped. It's going to be the greatest ride in the world, right? We start going. The ride kind of goes for a little bit and we're like, okay, it's going to get better. It's got to get better, right? We know it's going to get better. So we keep going. And it's like, okay, it's not getting any better. But surely there's like an ending where it's like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. So we get to the very end of the ride. Now, if you like this ride, I'm not trying to judge you. I'm speaking from my experience. We get to the end of the ride, and we all look at each other, and we go. It's like, that's it? And so then you're like, hey, everybody go. And you have this whole other train of people getting in like, this is going to be the greatest ride in the world, and you want to tell them, no, it's not. But anyway, you just keep going because you don't want to you know, spoil their hope. So you go, and so we, we go out, and you're, we're kind of like, that, that really wasn't all that. Like, we waited in line for a half hour for this other ride. That was a whole lot more fun. Like, what's kind of, you know. And then you start getting mad, right? And you start trying to figure out who wanted to ride the ride, right? You wanted to ride. I didn't want to ride the ride. I would wait. You know, it's like you start, so we're you know, forget it, right? Listen, that didn't wreck my life. It may have wrecked my afternoon, right? It didn't wreck my life. Little things like that happen that we get our hopes up. And you know what? It, it doesn't really, it's not everything we thought it was going to be. It's part of life. But then there are those times 
where we put our hope in something or we put our hope in somebody and we're putting hope in that person or that thing in a very significant way. You know, that, that job that we've been looking for, that interview we've been waiting for, like we're putting all our hope in that because that's going to change our situation. That relationship that we're trying to, you know, trying to figure out, is this, like, is this the right person for me? And we put all of our, our stock and all of our hope in that relationship. Or students, maybe it's that new school you're starting, so you can finally find some, some new friends. Or, or maybe that test that you have, you know, and you're like, hey, if I, if I can do well on this test, my parents are never going to know how bad I was doing, right? Because the report card's not come out. But, so you're putting stuff in all these different things. But what happens when that disappoints? What happens when that relationship you thought was going to be the one doesn't turn out to be? You know, what happens when you go to the doctor and you're hoping for a good health report, but you get the exact opposite? What happens when you're praying for somebody to, to, to get better and they end up passing away? What about when that job that you enjoyed is over? See, when we encounter those times, that's what we're talking about today. That hope sometimes disappoints. But there are sometimes things in our life that it doesn't go the way we wanted it to go. And for you today, it could be this, that when you think about unmet expectations, when you think about disappointment and hope, you think about God. And even being here today is a struggle because you're wrestling through a time in your life where you prayed for something to happen. You believed something positive was going to happen. You believed God was going to work a certain way. And you prayed and you fasted and you did all the things that a Christian person is supposed to do. But it didn't work. And as you're thinking about it, you're thinking, man, I'm disappointed in God. And you're here and you're asking the question, can I truly put hope in a God who let me down? See, Easter Sunday is a story of hope. But the full story of Easter wasn't always as hopeful. See, see, the story of Easter is a story really of three different days. On, on, on the first day, you have Friday. We call it Good Friday. Why, why do we call it Good Friday? Well, we call it a Good Friday because we know the end of the story. But that Friday wasn't good for the followers of Jesus there at that day and time. Good Friday is the day that Jesus is arrested, that he's tried, he's beaten, He's, he's crucified and he, he dies. And, and as Jesus died on the cross, a real death, hope died for many of his followers. And so Friday is this day where hope dies. They had trusted in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They believed he was the one that was going to redeem the world. And all of a sudden they're looking at Jesus dying on a cross and they're seeing a dead Jesus put into a tomb and hope is just dead. Everything they had trusted in, everything they had hoped in, now all of a sudden is uncertain. We'll fast forward that to, to Sunday. We know the end of the story. And we know that for Sunday, Sunday is a day where hope is alive. That Jesus rose from the grave. That Jesus was no longer dead. He is alive today. He is a living hope that we see this is the reality. But back in the, the day when this was happening, you had followers of Jesus who were trying to get from Friday to Sunday, and they found themselves in this in-between day of Saturday. And the Saturday is the day where hope has died, and you're not certain whether hope's going to come back to life or not. Hope has died, but you have no idea what God's really going to do in, in your life. 
And so often we, we read scripture and we view the Bible from this perspective of already having the story answered, which is good, but we forget what it was like to be a person who found themselves on Friday looking at hope dying and then living Saturday wondering what was going on. See, I believe this, that we all have those Friday moments in our life. We all have those moments on Friday where what we're trusting in, what we're depending on, what we're praying for doesn't pan out. And that hope that we had in that person or that thing seems to die. And then we find ourselves in this Saturday wondering, what's God doing? Is God even real? What's going to happen tomorrow? I I don't don't know how I'm going to get through this. And so how do we get from Friday? And how do we get to Sunday? Is it possible to find hope that's greater than anything we can encounter in life? We're going to read a story today of two travelers. It's in Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible or on your phone, you want to go there. I'll put the verses on the screen too. But it's a story of two travelers who found themselves in the midst of these three days. They were, they were followers of Jesus who were in Jerusalem where Jesus died. And it's, we, we kind of learned they were a part of his closest followers. They were a part of his group. Not his 12 disciples, but kind of this larger group that was around him. And, and they, they saw Jesus die. And as Jesus died, their hope died. They had no idea what was going to happen. That wasn't what they thought was going to happen on that, sat, on that Friday. And they find themselves in this Saturday time wondering, traveling, lonely, you know, trying to figure out what's happening, wondering if anything's ever going to come. And Jesus meets them in that season of Saturday. And Jesus does something in their life that changes them. So let's kind of read this story together. Luke chapter 24, we'll kind of talk about it as we go along. Verse 13, it says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So it says that same day. Well, what day? It's Sunday. So Friday happened. They've gotten through Saturday. And now it's Sunday. But here's what's interesting is, is that it's Sunday, but they're still living in Saturday. Like it's Sunday, as we're going to read, hope is alive, hope is, is come, come full, but here's the reality. They haven't embraced it yet. They don't know it yet. And so they find themselves in Saturday. And it says that they were traveling about seven miles from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And as they're, as they're on that journey, as they're on that journey, they're discussing everything that happened. They're trying to figure out what was going on. And it says this in verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So let's not miss this. Jesus, who died a real death on a real cross, was put in a real tomb, is now walking with these men on this seven-mile journey to this village called Emmaus. Now, it says that God kept them from recognizing Jesus. Why would God keep them from recognizing Jesus? Jesus. Well, I think it could be that that God wasn't done with their story. You see, God has a purpose for that Saturday in our life. God has a purpose for our our, our searching. See, see, they, they, they were struggling. And sometimes God has to allow certain things in our, our life, our certain hopes to die so that when we see the real hope in Jesus, we recognize it as a real hope. 
See, sometimes God has to allow us to go through those hard times so that when he shows us the reality of truth, we're ready to accept it. They weren't ready yet in the conversation. And so they didn't recognize Jesus. And it says this in verse, um, uh, verse 17. It said, he asked him, this is Jesus talking, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. So they're walking along and they're, they're debating. They're kind of talking about, okay, well, you know, you know, maybe he's, maybe he is alive, right? Maybe, maybe the, the, the tomb is, is empty. Maybe somebody stole the body. We, like, we don't know what's going on. They're debating and discussing. Jesus walks up to him and he says, Hey, what are you guys talking about? And he, and they, it says that they stopped and they turned and their face were downcast. See, the Bible's a story about real people. And when our hope dies, when we face disappointment, Sometimes it's obvious in how we appear. That's who these men were, these travelers were. You could tell they were heartbroken. And Jesus says, hey, what are you guys talking about? Verse 18, one of them named named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? He said, listen, you came from Jerusalem. How do you not know what we're talking about? Everybody in the city knows about Jesus who was arrested, who was crucified. And, and this, this rumor is going around now that, that he's risen from the grave. Like, how do you not understand that? Which is just crazy because they're saying that to Jesus, right? And Jesus plays along. He says, what things, right? Like, how do you, how do you not know these things? Jesus is like, what, what are you talking about? Like, fill me in. And so he says, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They say, listen, he was arrested, he was tried, he was crucified, he was killed, he was placed in a tomb. And they say, this is what we're talking about. And they said, we had hoped. See, they had a hope in Jesus, but that hope had died. Because they didn't understand what God was doing. And so Jesus says this, he says, or they say, they say, what's more? It's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, uh, this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. So he says, listen. You know, and, and if that wasn't crazy enough that, that this, this, this Jesus was, was, was killed, he was crucified, it's three days later, it, the, some women who are with us. Now, now, don't miss this. These were not guys, these were not travelers who were on the outside of what was going on. They were there with the 12 disciples. They say some of the women who were with us, his followers, went to the tomb. They didn't find his body. And when they came back, they said an angel said that he had risen. He was alive. And they go, then some of the men went and they looked for themselves and they couldn't find the body either. They're like, listen, it it just gets even more confusing. Jesus dies. Now we can't find him. We don't know where he is the whole time he's right in front of them. And, And listen, here's the thing. They knew the story of Easter. They heard the account of the empty tomb. But they didn't believe it yet. So that might be where you are today, and that's a great place to be. Maybe you know the Easter story, but you look at all the evidence, all the facts, and you're kind of like, hey, Jesus, 
died, rose from the grave, like, you still got some questions. Isn't it, isn't it funny how sometimes in life as we find out more information and we find out more of what's going on and maybe more of what God's doing, it actually creates some more questions for us? And see, how does Jesus respond to this? Well, let's look. Verse 25 says, He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. So Jesus kind of gets a little rowdy with them, right? Now, I'm kind of wondering this. If they had been like traveling with Jesus, the Bible doesn't say this. I could be completely wrong. But do you think Jesus maybe got a little frustrated in that moment? He's like, all those hours I spent teaching you and you're not paying attention? It's like, hello, class. You know, we talked about this. And they're like, you know, I, I don't know. We, we don't know what's going on. And Jesus is like, okay, well, let's, let's kind of, let's, let's review. And so here's what he does. He says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, so all the way back to the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, and then all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus takes these two travelers to school. He says, you don't know what's going on? Let me kind of show you what's happening. He goes all the way back to the first book of the Bible. And after scripture after scripture, he tells them and shows them how from the very beginning, God's plan of redemption was that his son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was going to have to die, but that he would rise from the grave. See, Jesus meets them and their questions, and he begins to reveal truth to them. And they were slow to understand. They were slow to believe, but Jesus was patient. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. So however Jesus corrected them, they didn't take offense to it. They actually wanted Jesus to come and, and stay with them. They wanted him to, to share more. They were intrigued about what he was saying, about how he was showing how in, in God's word and in, in scripture that, that all this was starting to make sense a little bit more. Then things begin to change. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. These two guys can't catch a break, right? Like they finally realized, oh my gosh, Jesus is here. He's right in front of me. Jesus is alive. Like that, he's gone. And they're like, what happened? <laughs> you know? And it's like, okay, you know, maybe you've been a part of your life. God starts doing something or things start kind of panning out in your life a little bit more like you thought. And then all of a sudden it changes again. You're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm done trying to understand what's happening, right? And here's what they say, though. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he, was talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? As he was explaining to them, it was like this hope was what was igniting in their hearts that Jesus was really alive. And then they recognize him. And he disappears. Well, so what do they do? It says in verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Now listen, they had spent the whole day, or not the whole day, but they spent a good part of the day walking seven miles to Emmaus. They said, hey, listen, stay because it's late, it's dark, it's dangerous. As soon as they find out who Jesus is, they go all the way back. And it says that they found the 11. So his closest disciples gathered together. And they said to him, it's true. The Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. 
Then the two told, then they, the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by him when he broke bread. They go all the way back to tell his closest followers, listen, what everybody's saying is true. We've encountered the risen Jesus. Two men who on Friday had their hopes smashed, hope died, walked through Saturday with uncertainty and moved into Sunday and recognized and realized that hope was alive. What does that mean for us today? It means this. That in Jesus, we can find a living hope that is greater than anything life can bring. That in Jesus, we can find a living hope that is greater than anything life can bring us. You see, we recognize this, that Jesus is not a hope that died. He's a hope that is now alive. And that living hope is one that never dies. He's defeated death. He's defeated darkness. He's defeated sin. There's nothing more that death can do to him. And Jesus is willing to meet you and meet me in wherever we are on this journey of faith, just like he met the two men, the two travelers to Emmaus. He is willing to meet us. He's willing to be with us and to grant us and give us a living hope that is greater than anything that can happen in life. A hope that can overcome that job loss. A hope that can overcome that cancer diagnosis. A hope that can overcome that foreclosure on your house, that divorce, that affair, that whatever it is. He's bigger than that. And because he's alive, Jesus gives living hope. What does that mean? Well, that means that, listen, when we face the Fridays in our life, because here's the reality, is you're going to face a Friday. The truth is you might be in a Friday. You're struggling. Your hope is dying. Your faith is shaken. You're not sure what tomorrow is going to bring. Or maybe you just come out of a Friday. You've gone through the hardest season of your life. Or maybe if you're not in one or you just came out of one, you're going to be going to one. And you're scared to death of what's going to happen. Because of Jesus, we can live those Fridays differently. Because Sunday has already come. You see, because of Jesus, we no longer have to stay stuck in Friday. We no longer have to stay stuck in Saturday. We can live in Sunday. We can live with a living hope that is greater than anything that you can face. And Jesus says, you're going to face some hardship. You're going to face some trials. John 16, 33, Jesus said this, I have told you all this that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus said, listen, you're going to find those Friday moments. That relationship's going to end. That job is not going to pan out. You know, that, that, that extra medical bill, it's going to show up at the wrong time. Like you're going to find those moments. But he says, you can have a different hope. You can live differently in those Fridays because he's overcome the world. That Jesus is greater than anything we can face. And we don't have to have our life and our joy and our hope be determined by our circumstances and situations. Because as the writer of Hebrews 6.19 says, we have this hope. What hope? The living hope of God found in Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Strong and secure. 
See, in Jesus, we don't have to allow life to determine our course. We can find a hope, a living hope that's greater than anything we can face and will ever face. We can live Friday differently because Sunday is here. And so here's the question I have for you, the takeaway for today. Is the living hope of Jesus alive in you? Is the living hope of Jesus alive in you? See, here's, here's what's so interesting as I studied this passage over the past couple of weeks. Is the two travelers, they knew about the crucifixion, Jesus' death. They knew the account of the resurrection. They, they didn't read about it. They were actually there to hear about it. People they knew firsthand saw the empty tomb. If they were here this morning, they would have come into this place and they could have answered any question about the resurrection and about, uh, and about the, the crucifixion because they were there. They knew the story. They knew the account. But hope wasn't alive in them yet. See, the reality is this is that, that for some of you in this room, that's where you find yourself. You know about the Easter story. You, you, you have all the knowledge. If I, if I ask you questions about it, you could tell me about Jesus, how he died on the cross. You could tell me about on the third day, how the tomb was empty and how Jesus appeared, how he rose from the grave. You, you have all the facts. You have all the information, but you don't have living hope. You, 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 you're depending on maybe your, your church attendance at VBS when you were a kid, or you're depending on, you know, coming to church on Easter, which is a great thing, but it's not the most important thing. You're depending on being a good person and better than the person down the street. But what you're missing in all these other things is you're putting hope in this, which is yourself. You're not putting hope in the living hope of Jesus. Because when did the travelers find living hope? It wasn't until they sat down face-to-face with Jesus. It wasn't until then that their eyes were opened. See, it's one thing to know about living hope. It's a whole different thing to have living hope, to experience living hope. And the difference in those who just know about living hope and those who actually have living hope is that those who have living hope have made a decision in their life at some point, not just to know about Jesus, but to accept Jesus, to put their faith, their trust, their hope in him. The Bible says this, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, that we'll be saved. What does it mean to be saved? It means that that living hope now comes and resides in us. It goes from this knowledge in our head to an experience in our heart. It goes from a religion to a relationship. And the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1.27 that this difference is the secret to knowing hope. He says, God decided to let his people know this rich and glorious secret. What rich and glorious secret? That everything we need in life comes to Jesus. He says, the secret is Christ himself who is in you. He is our only hope for glory. Without Jesus in our life, without a relationship with Jesus, without faith in Jesus, without trust in Jesus, we can put our hope in a lot of good things, 
but we don't have the living hope that we need. So is that living hope alive in you? If it's not, I believe this is your journey on the road. That this is your time to not only know about the hope, but for that hope to awaken in you. Would you pray with me? And as we begin this time of this prayer, just with your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to just ask you this question. Have you ever put your faith and your trust in Jesus? Not are you a good person, not do you go to church, not do you know things about the Bible, but have you ever come to that point to put your faith, your trust in him, to accept that living hope in your life? As I said a while ago, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. That it takes belief, but not just belief, it takes belief with action, with commitment. And if you're here today and you want to make that decision, you want to have that hope awaken in you for the first time, I want to lead you in a prayer. There are just simply words, but they're words that can help just reflect the desire in your heart. And here's the reality. I know for some of you in this room, your heart's racing right now. Because you know God's calling you to do this. And you're a little scared. you still got some questions. You've got some uncertainties. That's why it's called faith. But today is that day. Would you pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, today I choose you. I believe you're God's son. I believe you were killed on a cross. And I believe that you rose from the grave. Jesus, I may not know everything about you. I may still have some questions. But today I'm choosing faith. Today I put my faith in you. Would you forgive all my sin and mistakes? Would you forgive me living life without you? Would you come into my life? I commit to follow you from this day forward. Thank you for saving me, for giving me that living hope. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I believe that in this time, God has has done something supernatural in your life, that, that he's changed you, he's made you new, that his presence now is with you, and, and that living hope is there for you, no matter what life will bring to you, both here and for all eternity. And the greatest decision a person can make is the one you just made right now in this moment. But I wonder this, for those who are already followers of Jesus, you have that living hope, but are you trusting in that living hope? It could be today that you need to come during this time of response and you just need to lay before Jesus all the the things that are going on, your disappointments, your worries, your fears. It could be you need to go to the sides to the prayer fences and write out a prayer. You need to come here to the front and kneel as we sing this song that says, come to the altar. This song that says, come and respond. Maybe you need to light a candle. A white candle that represents, like many have done this morning already, represents a prayer that need that we have or a prayer request that God has answered. Or a red candle for those who have just accepted Christ that says, listen, I just chose Jesus today. Maybe you want some prayer. Our prayer team will be near the fences at the sides of the wall. And we sing this song. However you need to respond today, don't leave this place without the living hope of Jesus in you and fully 
alive. Let's stand and let's respond as we sing this together.